Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So let's go ahead and bow our hearts. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we will continue our worship by studying the Word of God. Oh, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for allowing us to be here. And we're always grateful for for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for all of the answered prayers. We thank you, Father, for every ministry that's going on on this campus right now. And even for the youth, Lord, the high schoolers who um, are gone to uh, Strawberry, um, Arizona, and they're worshiping you there. I pray that you would bless that, Lord. Bless the teacher and the teaching. Uh, and Father, I pray that you bless all of the teachers and teachings on this campus. Oh, we pray for a fresh filling of your spirit and that you'll help me to rightly divide your word of truth, Father. Or help us, Lord, to be receptive to your word, to be receptive to the work you desire to do in us and through us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, and we're going to begin at the 20th verse. As you can see, or uh, maybe the title is on Facebook Live. Those of you in the room, you can see on the screen that the title of this message is God's Family. God's Family. Now, overall, families are a blessing. I believe many of you would agree with that statement. And... Some of our best memories actually come from time spent with family. That is, our earthly family. Family we're related to by blood. So biological family. And also, unfortunately, some of our worst memories and heartaches and pains come from the same source. Our earthly or biological slash blood families. Well, some of us are blessed. We're here tonight, and maybe you're viewing via live stream. We're blessed to say that we have many of our earthly family members who are also our spiritual family members. In other words, they are a part of God's family along with the rest of us who are believers who put our faith in Christ. And tonight we're going to talk about and learn how to become a member of God's family, this great family, and also what is expected from those of us who are part of his family. And so we want to start again with Mark chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So in other words, it's it's talking about how Jesus entered a house in a city called Capernaum in the northern area of Israel, in a region called Galilee. So he's in a house in Capernaum. You have this large crowd coming together. Notice it says, again, and then Jesus and his followers, his disciples, could not so much as eat bread. 
But when his own people, in other words, when his own family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of, they went out to restrain Jesus. For they said, he is out of his mind. So this shows us that Jesus' family misunderstood him. They thought that there was something mentally wrong with him, with perhaps the message that he was preaching, all the things that he was doing, just, just always on a go, doing all these things that they never seen him do throughout all the years they spent with him as his earthly family. And so, so now he can barely eat, neither him nor his followers. And so they, they thought that something is wrong with him. He's out of his mind. They misunderstood Jesus. And how many of us have misunderstood Jesus? How many of us have misunderstood God the Father when we read his commandments, when he tells us something to do or not do? We misunderstand him. We think that his commandments are there because he wants to suck all of the fun out of our lives. And so we misunderstand God. We misunderstand Jesus. Now, before we move on to verse 22 in, in Mark 3, there's something in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 and 23 that I wanted to share with you. And it says, Then one was brought to him, that is to Jesus, who was demon-possessed. He was blind and mute. He couldn't see and he couldn't speak. Possessed by a demon. And Jesus healed him so that the blind and mute, this man could now both see and he could speak. And all the multitudes, the, the crowds, they were amazed and they said, could this be the son of David? In other words, could this be the Messiah? Or if, or if it's Greek, could this be the Christ, the anointed one? And then back in Mark three twenty two. Now this is going to make sense because we filled in the blank. Now, after that situation, now it says, and the scribes, the teachers of religious law who came down from Jerusalem. You see in the scriptures, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. So it's going to always say we go up to Jerusalem and come down from Jerusalem, no matter where you're going. And so they came down from Jerusalem And they said this about Jesus, that he has or is possessed by Beelzebub and by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. He cast out fallen angels or evil spirits, these servants, these ministers of Satan that Satan oversees. And so this Beelzebub, this name means Lord of the house. And some believe that this is the same as Beelzebub or Beelzebub, however you pronounce it, which means the Lord of the flies or the Lord of dung. And Beelzebub was a Philistine idol god who was worshipped at Ekron. And so some people believe that Beelzebub is the same Philistine idol god But in the context of tonight's study, we know that Beelzebub here is referring to none other than Satan, the devil. And as we think about that scripture in in Mark 3, verse 22, 
Obviously, you can tell that these scribes, these religious leaders, another gospel, I believe it's in Matthew, says the Pharisees. You can tell that they didn't like Jesus. And so they said he was possessed with the demon, Beelzebub. And it just reminds us that when people don't like us and, and they don't have a biblical or God point of view or perspective, they, of course, are going to make claims about you and, of course, about Jesus that do not make sense. And some of the claims they're going to make about you because they don't like you. They don't like the God that you serve. They don't like the lifestyle that you live, the lifestyle that you preach about, the gospel that you preach about. They don't, they don't like the Bible that you read. And so they bring these nonsensical claims against us, the followers of Christ. So, for example, we as the light and salt of the earth, which Jesus called us, when we stand against and when we refuse to support sinful activities, when we refuse to condone sinful lifestyles, to participate in it, they call us bigots. They they call us hateful and they call us judgmental. And what's funny about that is because is that all of those statements, bigot, judgmental, and hateful, are all statements of judging. And so they claim that we judge, but they're judging us by saying those things about us. And guess what? They don't even have all the information. Because we, we base our point of view on the word of God and the word of God, even Jesus says, to judge righteous judgment. Do not judge based on appearance. Don't judge based on how we feel. And I'll paraphrase that part. But instead, judge righteous judgment. And so when they make these nonsensical claims about Jesus and about us, Especially if we're sticking to the word of God and what we do and in what we refrain from. And guess what? That is not righteous judgment. And so the same things they did to Jesus, they're doing to us, but we can expect it. And guess what? We have to continue to love them. Verses 23 through 25, still in Mark chapter 3. It says, so he called them to himself and he said to them, in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? You're claiming that I'm possessed by Beelzebub, that I'm possessed by Satan, that I'm demon possessed. And that's how I cast out demons. So in a parable, he says, or he asked the question, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now, what I didn't mention to you is that in Matthew 12, 25, is that Jesus is actually responding to their thoughts. He knew what they were saying. So if you read Matthew 12, 25, you can jot that down. Check it out on your own time. It says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And then he called them to himself and began to speak to them in those parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? Verse 24 in Mark 3, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That kingdom will collapse. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. That house will collapse. And so Jesus used parables in these scriptures here to show the Pharisees, to show the scribes the silliness of their statement. And what is a parable? Well, first of all, a parable comes from a root word that means to put one thing by the side of another 
for the sake of a comparison. In short, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so he used parables in, in verses 24 and, and 25 to show the silliness of their statement that he's casting out demons by Satan, by Beelzebub. And the folly of their statement in verse 22 is again showed in these parables. See, a kingdom, a country that is divided against itself is going to crumble. Divisions because of divisions between ethnic groups. Division within a kingdom or country because of standards of morality. Division because of political views and stances will crumble a country, will crumble a kingdom. Jesus is teaching that in this parable. How about this? If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. That house will crumble. Whether there are divisions between husband and wife and children and parents and between aunts and uncles and grandparents and grandchildren, that house will crumble. People not on the same page, it can't stand. And how about this? If a, if a church is divided against itself, the question is, how can it be successful in fulfilling the purposes that God has for the church? The big C, the the, the universal church, as well as the local churches in our communities and across the state, across the country. If a church is divided, how can it stand? How can that church, how can the church fulfill its purpose? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. And if you don't have time to turn there or click or swipe there, you can jot it down. It says, now I plead with you, brethren talking to believers here, by the way, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That word judgment could mean purpose or it could mean uh, in, in the same mind concerning what ought to be done. So the word of God is clear that within the church, there, there should be no divisions among the brethren, among believers. But on the other hand, when we experience unity as believers, Psalm 133.1 tells us, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's Psalm 133.1. And so if we have that back there, if you could pull it up, that would be great. But how about us as an individual? As an individual. We talked about the country. We talked about the kingdom. We we talked about a house. We talked about the church. But as an individual, within the individual, are you divided about who should come first in your life? Are you divided about pledging your allegiance to God or 
to your own self, to live according to your own standards or rule, then that same principle is true for the individual as well. That people will crumble when they're divided, even within the mo- their, their own selves, will crumble. We're not, we're not living for the Lord. We don't have him first in our lives. If we are double-minded, we're not planted firmly on the rock that is Jesus Christ. We too, as individuals, will crumble. And Mark 3.26 says, And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, He cannot stand, but he has an end. In other words, he would never survive. See, again, that that argument they made, that thought that they had, whatever they said about Jesus being possessed by Beelzebub, by Satan, and that's how he's casting out demons, people on his own team. That's a crazy statement because, because Satan is not trying to tear down his kingdom. He's not trying to tear down his dominion. He's trying, to, he's trying to build it up. And in Satan's kingdom, there is chaos. There is, there is division. There is destruction and darkness. There is lying. He's the father of lies. There, there's murder. There's sin. There's evil in his kingdom. And so he's trying to build up his kingdom. So it doesn't make sense that he would be inside of Jesus casting out demons. Doesn't make any sense. So Jesus is turning their argument on its head. In Matthew 12, verses 27 through 28, and I'm kind of weaving these verses in to give us a better context, to give us, give us a full picture of what's going on in Mark chapter 3. And so again, in Mark 12, uh, verses 27 through 28, it says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons, by whom do your followers, speaking to the Pharisees, cast them out? Therefore, they, your followers, shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then what does that mean? That surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then it picks up back in verse 27 of Mark chapter 3. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods or take his goods by force unless he first binds, unless he first ties up that strong man. And then he will plunder his house and then he will take his stuff. Matthew 12, 30 ends it this way. It says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, I just love that verse that we read in in verse 27, where it talks about that strong man, that nobody can enter that strong man's house and take his stuff unless you bind the the, the strong man first. You tie him up first, then you can take his stuff. See, that strong man in this illustration is talking about Satan. And Jesus is stronger than Satan. Jesus ties him up and is able to take his goods. He's able to break into his house and take his stuff. You see, what Jesus is talking about is that that Jesus can overpower him. He overpowers Satan. 
to the fact that he can do damage to his kingdom. Jesus overpowers Satan to the, to the point where he is rescuing people from Satan's house, from Satan's dominion. And so you have people who are being rescued from Satan's control because of Jesus, the one who is stronger than Satan, this so-called strong man. See, in Colossians 1.13, the scripture says this, that he has delivered us, that is us who are believers from the power of darkness and has conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so God, our, the, the one who is stronger than Satan, because we repent and we put our faith in Christ, we allow him to deliver us and transfer us from this kingdom of darkness, from the dominion of Satan, and instead allow us to be transferred into the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of the son of his love, the, the son who God the Father loves. And assuredly, it continues in verse 28, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. All sins will be forgiven the sons of men. All sins, in other words, will be forgiven people. And whatever blasphemies, whatever belittling, whatever disrespectful speech or insults they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. In other words, it's saying that blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is a sin that has eternal consequences. It is an eternal sin, which means it's an unforgivable sin. And we'll talk more about that. And why did Jesus say that? Because they said, these religious leaders said that he has an unclean spirit. That he's possessed by Beelzebub, by Satan. And so they tried to discredit Jesus' ministry. And in the process of trying to discredit his ministry of what he was doing, that showed that, that he is fully God and fully man, that he is the Messiah, that he is all-powerful. In order to discredit Jesus, they said, that, that power that you're using to cast out demons is, is of the devil. And so they insulted the Holy Spirit. They attributed the Holy Spirit's work that he was doing through Jesus to Satan. Giving credit to who it didn't belong to. Insulting the Holy Spirit. And what did that show about these religious leaders? You see, their words are powerful. The, the, the words show what is welled up in their hearts. And so their very words show the hardness of their hearts against the work of the Holy Spirit. See, people today, we can insult, we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit by basically calling him a liar when we reject him. When we reject the work that he's trying to do in our lives. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit come to do? And by the way, if you're a believer, you cannot commit this sin. This is for somebody who's not a believer, who is constantly rejecting the Holy Spirit, what he is trying to do in their lives. You see, the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us he comes to convict people of sin, the world of sin. 
He comes to, in other words, convince people to show people that, hey, you are a sinner in need of a savior. If you remain in that sin, then the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And so he convicts us. He shows us our guilt, convinces us and convicts us, shows us we're sinners. And at the same time, it points to our guilt that we're on our way to hell without Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit does that. He convicts people of sin. And not only that, but Jesus says that he testifies of me. And so if you reject the Holy Spirit trying to show you, and if we would have done that in the past, those of us who are believers today, if we would have rejected him trying to show us that we're sinners, that we need help, that we need a savior. If we call him a liar by saying, no, I know you're saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but I don't receive that. I don't believe that. Then that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There is no forgiveness for that if a person were to die in that state. That person will stay in their guilt if they don't repent and receive Jesus. If they don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If they don't respond to the fact that the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is the Son of God, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so they call the Holy Spirit a liar. But in this discussion, I don't want you to miss something. The thing I don't want you to miss is in in Mark 3, verse 28. And the thing you don't want to miss here is that all other sins will be forgiven. So no matter what sins you thought of, what was in your mind, no matter what you have done, sins of omission, sins of commission, the sin of omission is God tells you to do something and you don't do it. Then you have the sin of commission where you're actively participating in that sin. In trespassing, of course, you, you know what the word of God says and you're going to cross the line anyway. And so all sins, all trespasses will be forgiven, the sons of men. And so that's the good news that we don't want to miss out on in this conversation tonight. Because you may think, oh, I've committed a sin. I've, I've done that when I was younger. I've done that yesterday. I use this language Against this person, oh, God is never going to forgive me. Or I was watching that on TV. And God said, don't watch that. And I watched it anyway. I went to that place. And I know I shouldn't have been there. Oh, God is not going to forgive me. No, it says all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. There is only one unforgivable sin. That's if a person blatantly hardens their heart and rejects That work the Holy Spirit is trying to do in their lives to lead them to Jesus. And I like what that scripture tells us in in Romans 5.20. It tells us that where sin abounded, where sin increased, God's grace overflows and trumps those sins even more. That is awesome when you think about the grace of God. When you think about what Jesus came to do. That should make you want to praise him and thank him that much more. And so when I sound redundant in my prayers and I thank God all the time for his grace and his mercy, that is why. Because although I deserve death, I deserve punishment, I deserve hell. 
guess what? By his mercy, that is me not getting what I really deserve. By his mercy, I don't receive that punishment. And by his grace, I get a gift that I did not earn and cannot work for. And so, yes, I'm going to be redundant. I'm going to thank him for his grace and, and his mercy just about every time I pray. Because all sins will be forgiven men. And, and, and that is available to, to anybody if you're viewing right now. No matter what you've done. That's available for you. Jesus paid it all, all for, for all past, present, and future sins. He paid for it all. It's just up to us to receive it and appropriate that to our lives. In Matthew 12, 46... It says that Jesus was still talking to the multitudes. And that's where we continue back in Mark 3. And so you see the connection there. So while Jesus was still talking to the multitudes, in Mark 3.31, it says, Then his brothers and his mother, and we know his mother's name is Mary, they came. And they couldn't approach Jesus because of the crowd, it tells us in Luke 8. And Mary and his Brothers were standing outside and they sent to Jesus and they called him. And in Mark 3, 32, it says in a multitude, this large crowd was sitting around Jesus and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. They're seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in the circle at those who sat about him. Matthew 12, 49 says that he also stretched out his hands towards his disciples. And then he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so as we continue to read the scriptures, look at those references. Read the Bible in its entirety. We're going to see that Jesus had four half-brothers and at least two sisters. Earthly brothers, earthly sisters. And at one point, his brothers did not believe in him. It tells us in John chapter 7. They didn't believe in him at one point. In fact, we see in this lesson, they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy and that they had to come rescue him. And so Jesus, with his earthly family... We see that he had problems, that there were problems in his family. And maybe you're here tonight and, and you've experienced problems in your family growing up. There were issues in your family. Some of those things that you're still trying to recover from. Oh, you're still hurting. You're still praying about them. Maybe you're going to counseling about those things. And so... Many of you have those family problems with the biological families. There's even some people here tonight and some people viewing right now. Or maybe you're going to view the video later. Maybe there's one of you who's going to do that. But some of us have problems in our families even right now at this point of history. Or maybe you're one of those people where the families disowned you. Oh, they lost your number on purpose. Or maybe your earthly family is saying what they said to Jesus. Oh, you're out of your mind. 
oh, what are you doing? You, you quit your job to, to do that? that? That's a lower paying job. Oh, you're spending all your time at that church where you could be at home? Where you could be playing all the video games you want to and watching all the movies you want to when you can be going to all the amusement parks you, you want to go to you at that church? You're reading the Bible again? You're praying again? Are you, so they may be saying that you're out of your mind. And then some of you may have those family members who may want to restrain us like they wanted to restrain Jesus and take him back home. They want to lay hold of us when, when we go to a family gathering and we start talking about Jesus and they see us as an embarrassment. So maybe they'll try to pull us away or maybe they'll just leave whatever group we're in. They may want to restrain you, maybe even restrain your speech. Oh, here they come again. They're going to ruin all the fun. Put the liquor away. Put the weed away. Here they come again. They're going to start preaching. Oh, they'll turn that off. Oh, here come Holy Roller. And some of you may have experienced that already. And, And you can sense it when you walk in. They may smile on your face, but you can sense it. But maybe some of you have been experiencing that. And I'll tell you what, there's some families that are divisive just to be divisive. But then you have division within our families due to the fact that some are believers, including you, and some are not believers. And guess what? Jesus told us that was going to happen in, in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36. It says, do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. Oh, yeah, event, don't, don't get them wrong. There eventually will be peace on earth when he sets up his kingdom on earth. But right now, he didn't come to bring peace on earth. He, he says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. What do you mean, Jesus? He says, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Why is that? That's because some believers who are in the family will put Jesus above everything else, and the unbelievers in the family won't like that. That's why. You see, some family members, they're going to want to spend all their time talking about everything else. They want to talk about politics. You want to talk about Jesus, but they don't want to hear you. And so maybe there's some of you tonight who dread going to your family gatherings. It's a great opportunity to witness and show the love of Christ. But some of you dread that or, or maybe it's the other way around where they don't even invite you anymore. If that's the case, then blessed are you. But we all, every, every human has the opportunity to become a part of God's family. But the question is tonight, and maybe there's some of you who are viewing tonight or in this room who may have that question, how do I become a part of his family? And, and many of you are students of God's word, so you can probably finish the rest of this sermon. But we become a part of God's family by being born into it. So just that like you were born into your earthly family, you have to be born into God's family. That's what Jesus meant by being born again. We repent. We put our faith in him. We're born again. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, you have your, your, your mother and father's DNA, your earthly parents. 
But when we're born again, spiritually speaking, if you allow me to use this metaphor, you receive God's DNA. You receive a new nature. Oh, the old you was gone and now the new you exists. Now you are a new creation. The scriptures tell us that we do this by faith. Again, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this is a family, God's family. We actually have a choice to be a part of this. To be a part of this family. And guess what? You truly become blood relatives. But what do you mean, Darrell? When we truly become blood relatives. When we become a part of the family of God. Well, we're connected by the blood of Jesus. That same blood that washed my brother in Christ from his sins. Or my sister in Christ from her sins. Is the same blood that washed me from my sins. That same blood that redeemed all believers. Is that same blood that redeemed me. That purchased me from slavery to sin. And so we truly become blood relatives. By the blood of Jesus. And according to Jesus there is evidence. Maybe you're asking for it. Maybe you, you, you want to know. How do I know I'm a part of the family of God? Jesus said it in verse 35. There's evidence that a person is truly a part of his family. And how is that? What is he, what is he saying in verse 35? For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. So doing his will, doing the will of the father is a sign that you are truly a part of his family. See what it says in Mark 7, 21. It says, not everyone, Jesus is saying, who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, it's not about lip service. Have you been born again? And are you doing the will of my father? That's what makes a, a person a part of Jesus's family, a part of the family of God. Faith in him first and then the evidence of it. Are you doing the will of the father? And what is the will of the Father? First of all, repentance. If you remember in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus preached the message, he told people to repent. That is a commandment. Repent means to, to change your mind. Change the way you see sin. Change your mind. Turn from sin. Turn towards God. It means a change of mind. And so doing his will involves, number one, repentance. If you need another witness, look at, look at that verse there. It's already on the screen. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack. He's not being slow concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is patient. He is long-suffering toward us. And he is not willing, the scriptures tell us, that any should perish. What is his will? That all should come to repentance. This, my friend, is what you would call the perfect will of God. This is his preferred will. But then you have a permissive will. Permissive will is not always good. In other words, he allows us to make choices. Permissive will. So some people are operating under the permissive will. But, but this is his perfect will. His preferred will is that all should come to repentance. So if a person does that, they have done the will of the Father. What else is a part of the will of the Father? Believing. In that same message that Jesus preached in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, repent, and guess what? Believe. Believe in the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Then, of course, a, 
a, a third part of doing the will of God is obeying his word. That is the way we live our lives, our lifestyle. And those of you who are familiar with James, you study that on your own time, but obeying the word of God actually demonstrates the faith that people can't see. You see, God can see our faith. He knows what's in our hearts. But people, they can't see our faith. How do they see our faith? How can we demonstrate our faith? By obeying the word of God. And so obeying his word is a part of doing the will of the Father that Jesus talked about in Mark 3.35. You see, and when we are obeying the word of God, what's, what's going on there? We are looking more like him. We are looking like our father, just like you look like your, you resemble your earthly parents. We resemble our heavenly father when we're doing his will. You see, we look like God when we are loving unconditionally. Why is that? Because God is love and he loves us unconditionally. When we obey the commandment of God and we walk in holiness, we live a life, in other words, that is set apart from sin then we're looking more and more like our heavenly father. Why do I say that? It's because our God is holy. And God says, you be holy because I'm holy. And so if we are related to God spiritually, we should be walking in holiness. And and, and we look like God when we are concerned about those who are disadvantaged. When we're concerned about the poor. When we're concerned about the needy. When we're concerned, the scriptures tell us about the widows and the orphans. When we are concerned about the disadvantaged, those who don't have an upper hand in society, we look like our heavenly father. We resemble him. And so just like Jesus said, matter of fact, we look like Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus says, hey, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we should be able as Christians to say that, hey, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, you can look at me and how I live my lifestyle. That, that's what God wants. That's his will. But we also look like God when we are unselfish. See, we are obeying God when we are unselfish. We obey God. We, we look like God when, when we give, when we forgive. Why is that? Because our God is a forgiving God. And so are we doing the will of God as the worship team comes to the stage? So I just want to leave those of you in this room and those of you who are viewing, whether live or recording or listening to the audio at this point, so maybe right now you're, you're feeling a little lonely because your earthly family disowned you. Or maybe you're feeling heartbroken because there's many of your biological family members. Oh, you used to be close to them, but you're not as close to them anymore and you miss that relationship. So there's many of you whose hearts are broken and you're feeling lonely right now that, man, I feel left out of everything. Maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe that's going through your minds right now. But I just want to encourage you tonight to take a page out of Jesus' book because in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 34, what did Jesus do when his family came looking for him, when they were standing outside looking for him? It says that Jesus looked around in the circle at those who sat about him. And so I just want to encourage those of you who are lonely and 
heartbroken and hurting right now because you're disowned by your biological family members, that you're not as close as you used to be. I want to encourage you to do like Jesus and, and look around. Look around in a circle. Look around where you're sitting. Look around, and if you go to another church, there's another local body of believers. Look around in that community of believers. And just like Jesus, you'll notice that you have a family that you connect with on a higher level. You have a family there that who's going to pray with you, who's going to be there when you're hurting, who's going to share that timely word with you, that word that you need to hear right now in this season in your life. Just look around just like Jesus did. And the final scripture for the night is Mark 10, verses 29 through 30. It says, so Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundred times more now in this time, in this life, on this side of eternity. Houses and brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. But notice this, with persecutions and in the age or world to come, you receive eternal life. Now in the current state of our country and the world that we're living in. That is truly good news. Because not only do we have a family in Christ that we get to spend eternity with, but then also according to this verse, Mark 10, 29 through 30, we will also gain more than we ever lost. Oh, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of your family by your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you are to me and that I am able to call out to you, Zaba, Father. We can call you daddy. We pray, Lord, for those who tuned in tonight, those in this room who are hurting because of family issues. But I know for a fact that you're able to resolve them. And so tonight I'd ask for, I ask for your intervention in these families. I ask for mental and emotional healing in, this, in these families. We ask that you help our families to be all that you want them to be, Lord, and use us, we pray, as you open up opportunities to share the gospel with our biological family members. Because what a blessing that would be to not only call them our biological family, but it would also be our spiritual family members as well. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to thank you all for joining us. Those in this room, those of you viewing online, continue to keep each other in prayer. Keep our country in prayer. Just pray that you have a blessed week. As you leave, you leave the building. You leave the campus. But you never leave God's presence. You understand that? God is not just in this building. The Holy Spirit indwells you as believers. And God is omnipresent. But guess what? We don't always sense his presence. So sometimes in churches, you hear people say, Holy Spirit, come in. But he's already there. And so a better prayer would be, Holy Spirit, God, help us to sense your presence. And so as we leave this place, realize that you do not leave his presence. And may God use each and every one of you in a mighty way within their biological families, at work, even though some of you are working from home. You can still pray. They can't stop your prayers. So God bless you. God keep you. And we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.